This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. I want you to get mad. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And I bet you any money the good doctor George Janescu is going to drive up the 404 doing just that with his windows rolled down, <laughs> driving 70 miles an hour, knowing George Janescu he would. All right, welcome to the broadcast. Uh, for Sunday, June the 24th, uh, 2012. My name is Richard Serrett, and behind the audio board, Andrew Lowy. Tonight, your concierge to The Conspiracy Show. uh, Say uh, say hello, and please be polite when you speak to him. And we will make the phone lines available to you in uh, just a few moments uh, at 416-360-0740 and toll-free from just about anywhere, 1-866-744-740. Over at the uh, website, richardserrett.com, or you can also get there uh, via theconspiracyshow.com. You'll see our latest poll question. Uh, Researchers in the Netherlands, here we go again. This is the here we go again file. Researchers in the Netherlands warning that bird flu uh, could mutate to cause deadly deadly human pandemic. So that's our... um, our question up on the uh, our poll question up on the website uh, for the next week or so, and let's just take a look at the results. Oh, the, the, your choices are very worried, slightly worried, not worried at all, or it's a hoax. And uh, let's see, fifty-seven point one of you are saying it's a hoax. Fourteen percent are very worried. Fourteen percent are slightly worried, and fourteen percent are not worried at all. All right, listen, we have uh, an interesting program for you tonight coming up in the second hour. June 25th marks, that'll be uh, just a couple hours from now, will mark the third anniversary of the death of the king of pop, Michael Jackson. But wait a minute, not so fast, some are saying. You've probably heard the the rumblings for quite some time, but I'll uh, speak to our media scientist friend, Nelson Thal, along with uh, researcher, writer, James Joyce scholar, Ms. Jane Steele, They'll be along after midnight to talk about how and why the King of Pop, in fact, faked his own death. And they'll probably even divulge where Michael Jackson is now residing. You heard me correctly. How and why the King of Pop faked his own death. That's coming up after midnight. 
Now, until uh, 12 o'clock, we're going to speak about something entirely different, something in the sky, something uh, that um, has been actually recently seen in Southern California. Could be, some are saying, a living pterosaur. That's right, a pterosaur. Those are dinosaurs, folks. Or from the dinosaur family, I guess. <laughs> They're supposed to have been extinct some 60 million years. Uh, however, my next guest is a field researcher, author of the book Searching for Ropens. And uh, he has traveled to places as far flung as Papua New Guinea in an attempt to verify sightings of this creature by the local indigenous people in New Guinea. This nocturnal winged creature goes by several names, including the Ropen. It's a, a flying cryptid, uh, allegedly to live in the vicinity of Papua New Guinea and um, somewhere else in the South Pacific. Perhaps we'll find out. And we're happy to have Jonathan Whitcomb here on The Conspiracy Show, AM 740. Jonathan, how are you tonight? Oh, great, Richard. Thank you very much for having me on. And it was great meeting you down in, uh, I guess it was Long Beach, California. I hooked up with you several months ago. Yes, that was a delight. Thank you very much. Now, let's, uh, first of all, let's uh, identify what we're talking about here or define what we're talking about. A pterosaur. Yes. That is, would yeah. that include pterodactyls? Yes, well, most people call it pterodactyl. In the Western countries like the United States, Canada, they say pterodactyl. What they actually mean is um, what the scientists call a pterosaur. Uh, what some people call it a um, flying dinosaur. You know, it's always uh, associated with dinosaurs, but it's basically a large um usually large uh, featherless flying creatures that are not bats. And um, so, in other words, a pterodactyl would be one type of pterosaur? Well, actually, you know, I, I don't get into technical detail because that, the scientists use the word totally differently. So when, when you see hear somebody on the street say pterodactyl, I just take it, you know, they mean a pterosaur. They're not, not being technical like a scientist. There's, they use it a little bit differently, but it's uh, they use it like the word pterodactyl to mean a specific uh, species of um, a pterosaur, but that's not the common usage. You know? Okay. Now, what do they look like? Well, I mean, what did we? What do we know about them from the fossil record? What do they look like? Oh, yeah. Well, we we, we first had fossils that were discovered in Western science by Western scientists in the 1780s. Uh, I don't remember exactly it's a, uh, the year, but it was uh, it was uh, about the time that George Washington became president. It was way back, and then since then, scientists have continuously discovered new fossils. They're um, delicate kind of bones, so a lot of times they're just crushed and difficult to decipher things. But um, they're um, originally uh, in the late 1700s. They were thought to be uh, like aquatic oceanic creatures that use their flippers for swimming, and then. About 1801 or so, the scientists start saying, well, wait a minute, these, these look like more likely to be flying creatures. So that's what we have, a, a, lot, of, a lot of fossils now. And uh, what, what type of wingspan are we, are we talking about? I'm guessing there would be a range depending on the specific species. A huge, a huge range, yeah. It goes anywhere from, uh, uh, or just uh, uh, very few feet up to many, many feet, over 30 feet sometimes. Um, there's, um, excuse me, the line, another liner. Um, yeah, we have, uh, reports, uh, from eyewitnesses all over the world that vary tremendously. And that's, in fact, the, the variety is so great that I use that as evidence that there's no hoax in general involved. But I'll give you an example just from recently, uh, 
got a sighting in California of one with a wingspan estimated at five and a half feet, and that was observed in the daytime at close range. So that's that's a fair estimate, a typical five to ten feet, maybe a little bigger. Now, as a five-foot wingspan wouldn't be that unusual. I, I would think something like the California condor would have a wingspan perhaps in that range. But when you talk about wingspans of, you know, 20 feet or or, yeah. or thereabouts, I mean, we are talking about obviously something, I mean, there's there's no mistaking that. That's not a, yeah. that's not a condor, that's not a, a pelican, that's not a stork or whatever else they want to call it. I mean, this is... Um, obviously something yeah, uh, entirely different. Yeah, definitely too big. Yeah, when Papua New Guinea, where I was exploring in 2004, that's the point that uh, that we make, my associates and I make, that when you have a sighting that's definitely way over 20 feet, then it's obviously not a flying fox fruit bat, and it's not any bird like an eagle. Uh, and we do have sightings that were very high credibility there. Uh, for example, Dwayne Hodgkinson in 1944 and... Uh, Papua New Guinea, which is, was then called New Guinea, and it's near Finchhaven on the mainland. And that was estimated that wingspan similar to a Piper Tripacer airplane, which is about 29 feet. So that's definitely not a bird. All right, listen, uh, Jonathan, when we come back, we'll get into the Dwayne Hodgkinson sighting uh, back in 1944 in New Guinea, and we'll discuss exactly what he says he saw, and we'll also talk about uh, what the locals in Papua New Guinea uh, continue to see these flying nocturnal creatures which uh, seem to have some a uh, bioluminescent uh, uh, a characteristic to them we'll find out what that might be as, as, as well and uh, we'll do that with my guest the author of searching for ropens jonathan whitcomb right here on the conspiracy show don't go away question everything this is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Jonathan Whitcomb has been to Papua New Guinea, has talked to the uh, the aboriginals there and 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 others who claim to have seen what they call it goes by a number of names in that area but uh, one of them is the ropen a flying cryptid uh which bears a striking resemblance to a creature we've been all told um became extinct some 60 million years ago pterosaurs and as he says uh there's been a recent sighting in southern california and we'll get some more details on that Although I understand details are a little scarce at this time, but uh, we will we'll, we will discuss that. Jonathan, back to Papua New Guinea and Dwayne Hodgkinson back in 1944. Who was he, and what did he see? Well, he's uh, he was a farm boy in his teenage years in Ohio. He was in the uh, the war in uh, World War Two in 1944. He was in the um, Finchhaven area at that time. The Japanese had already been gone at that time of the war, about the middle of 1944. And he and his army buddy, they decided to go up and visit a, a village and see what the villages are like. He was very curious about that. And they were in a jungle clearing in the middle of the day, clear weather, no obstruction to what they saw. And when they were in this jungle clearing, which was about 100 feet across in diameter, about 100 feet or so, they, a wild pig ran through there and, and it startled them for a moment until they realized it was just a pig. And then what happened was uh, astonishing because... 
something that came flying up um, out of the clearing and, and up uh, running at first. And they were astonished because uh, at the first they thought it was a, uh, a bird or something. But, and they realized it was much too big. And as it got airborne, uh, it flew right over the clearing. And they were astonished and thinking it was gone. And then it came back over the clearing the opposite direction. They were astonished because it had a head crest behind it. It's like a pterosaur and a very long tail. Hodgson estimated the tail at 10 to 15 feet at least, 10 to 15 feet in length. And the wingspan? About 29 feet. And this is, remember, this is, they're both in this, the, the two men, the soldiers and the, the animal, were in the same clearing, which is 100 feet across. So there's, there's no reasonable way that they could have misunderstood the, the size of it. And they weren't expecting anything like that. They thought it was versus a bird, but it's just far too big. And did this creature have feathers? They did. He didn't notice any. Now, this is an um, interesting point. He said he saw no feathers, but he is not adamant saying that there couldn't possibly be any feather on the whole creature because he was concentrated on the head. But basically, we know from that the, the type of head it was, and he got a very clear view of the head, that we believe it was a giant ramphorinkoid pterosaur. And and I, I guess the obvious question, the, the question that the skeptic would ask, is why should we believe Dwayne Hodgkinson? How do we know he's not just pulling our collective leg? Yeah, there are a number of reasons for that. He's a flight instructor for many years now. He has many thousands, I think 13,000 hours of flight time, and he, he teaches people how to fly. Uh, he wouldn't be uh, conducting a hoax for 60 years with the possibility that people could just uh, uh, distrust him and not... Uh, not become clients. There's other reasons, too. Uh, he's not alone. The, the, the two men were not the only men that saw this. In 1971, there was a Brian Hennessy, an Australian, who saw a similar creature, quite similar, because they gave him a test similar to Hodgkinson's and identifying, you know, sketches and uh, comparing links of the head crest and so on. He saw the same species, I believe, uh, in uh, New Guinea, but on an island um, to the east, in Bougainville Island, in 1971. And I believe it's the same species, what we call ropen. We should point out, Jonathan, that that um, one of your, I, I guess your your vocation is as uh, an independent forensic videographer for attorney firms. Yes, yeah, so well, I've been doing that for many years, except recent years I've been too busy, much too busy writing and investigating these uh, creatures. Right, but I, how I does that... I don't do it anymore. No, but how did that previously, how did that skill help you in interview uh, witnesses? Well, I noticed on the videotapes uh, that I got from Pollination of Texas, who went on a couple of expeditions before I did, and I noticed the videotaped interviews of the natives, and I looked at that and I, 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 uh, several times, and going over I realized that the natives are not trying to, uh, to convince anybody of anything. They're just casually relating what they saw, and most of them saw just a light in the distance, a flying light, because we believe it's bioluminescence in the creature. And most of them saw that, and they admit they don't. Uh, they didn't see anything about the, the form. It's just a few of them that saw the form, like a pterosaur. So I, I was convinced that they're telling the truth. And a few of them, uh, a particular one named Gideon Coral, he saw it in the daytime as uh, astonishing, a uh, frightening creature. Why do they seem to be uh, so prevalent in Papua New Guinea? Is it because it's remote, uh, or is there a, a food source there? Why, why so many ropens seen in New Guinea? Well, if they're generally all over the world, I've, for, for 
eight and a half years now I've been researching this, and I get a lot of uh, emails from people all over the world, occasionally phone calls. But, uh, generally, they're, m- most of them are long-tailed creatures, no feathers. Um, the, we, I don't know for sure that they're more prevalent. I believe they are more prevalent in Papua New Guinea because there's uh, a variety of different food sources they have on the reefs. For example, Umboy Island, where I was exploring, the creature that's dominant there on the island will um, we'll go to one reef and, and one night, and he'll get the food there, giant clams or whatever it is, the fish, whatever, and then he'll come to the mountain that's closest to it, and then he'll go to another mountain and then fly off and another night to a reef that's adjacent to that mountain. So they have uh, plenty of food, and they have a system for, for getting in. Have the locals reported being attacked by the ropin? Not a direct uh, report on, on Umboy Island, though there are some places on the mainland where definitely they're in the Mora Bay province in two different parts of it. There have been reports in the late 19, 1900s, like um, 1980s, 1990s, or uh, one man was in his garden that was attacked, and this is a giant creature that lifted him right off the ground and dropped him more than once before he carried away the body to eat it. And another similar account of a man being carried away in another part of that uh, Province. They they picked up a man and dropped him in order to kill him and then carried his body away. Yeah, and I I'm, I'm, I haven't looked over these reports in in a while, so I'm not sure that it's easy to confuse the two of them. But they're definitely two of them. One of them was in the area of Finchhaven near where um, Dwayne Hodgkinson saw the creature in 1944. The other one was closer to to Lay, and so one of the villages out in that part of uh, the mainland. Now, there have been a, n- a number of, of sightings by missionaries, uh, and I guess there are a number of missionaries in Papua New Guinea, uh, which have led, yeah. uh, again, have, have led some skeptics to suggest that because the, 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 the eyewitness testimony is coming from uh, missionaries, that perhaps these are uh, uh, um, creationists, and, and, and they believe that, you know, the deer, and, the earth is only 6,000 years old, and therefore these uh, these creatures, you know, they wouldn't have become extinct. They would still be around. W- w- where do you um, weigh in on that that discussion? I mean, you're not a creation yeah. scientist, are you? Yeah. Well, I'm not a young earth creationist, but I, I'm a, I, I'm not, I have no problem with being labeled a creationist in general. But the, the point about that is it's a very generalized idea, and the problem is that the missionaries themselves rarely see anything. I, Jim Bloom saw a light that once that uh, I know of. He didn't see any form of a pterosaur. He admits that. And he's a missionary for decades. Uh, and Jacob Kapos is not a missionary. He's a native who's a Baptist minister, and he saw a creature in daylight. And twice, in fact, when he was a boy, he saw it at night, and both times he saw the form. But generally, the missionaries are not the ones that see it. It's the... Um, for example, the natives that were interviewed by Jim Bloom for a, few, for a number of years in the 1990s or so, in that general time frame, they were the ones that reported to him what they had seen. So it's not really that missionaries see them that much. But there is, there is that argument, you know, in order to explain why we would still have pterosaurs or dinosaurs still roaming the earth yeah. 60 million years after uh, they 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 were supposedly become extinct according to the fossil record. How then do we explain why they're still here? Well, of course, the the new world or the new Earth creationists would say, well, that's easy. You know, we're only we've only been here for six thousand years, 
So it's easy to explain that that gap in time. But for those who do not believe in a, in, in a young Earth, those who believe that you know dinosaurs were around millions of years ago, how is it that they could still be here today if, according to the fossil record, they died off 60 million years ago? Well, it's generally the point of, of, of believing that, they're, that the fossils of pterosaurs are 65 million years old there, it does, from that perspective, of course, it seems very unlikely that there'd be any alive, but if you really talk to them, like I have, if you really talk in depth with, uh, communicate with the paleontologists who are standard model with that way, uh, they will eventually admit, well, maybe there might be one still alive. And so you have that uh, ad- admission eventually, but they, they're very reluctant to, to say that. They'll try to avoid it as long as they can. Um, but with the uh, in general, we need to also remember that some of the greatest scientists uh, in the early history of science, uh, Galileo and, and Newton, for example, believed very similar to what creation scientists do now uh, in terms of the Bible being uh, a true record, having true historical significance. And so, so you can't say a creationist should be dismissed, you know, and just say, well, they, they don't know anything because they believe in the Bible, as it's... Um, no, I certainly would not say that. I, I'd be one person who would not. I'm, I'm simply offering up the, you know, uh, the yeah. the standard uh, arguments. Yeah, so, so in general, uh, the perspective of uh, 65 million year old uh, fossils will make it less, much less likely that any pterosaurs are alive, I mean, at least it seems that way. And for uh, those who believe in, that the creatures only lived 2,000 years ago, then of course it's, it's easy. So that's why it's more popular for for young Earth creationists or, or middle Earth creationists, whatever, to um, to b- believe that maybe the reports are true. But we also just have to look at the reports themselves and analyze whether it's a hoax or is it a misidentification. And uh, look at it from that basis of just trying to be open-minded to the eyewitnesses. Because really, science, to be real science, the value it, you have to have human experience that corresponds to it. The human experience is, is critical. You can't just be making up you know, and, and, and just uh, uh, imagining things that millions of years ago and, and never get to, um, to the point of, of verifying things with uh, human experience. All right, Jonathan, we'll talk about uh, your expedition to Papua New Guinea when we come back. Jonathan Whitcomb is the author of Searching for Ropens here on The Conspiracy Show. Phone lines available to you now. What do you think? Could these things still be flying around? 416-360-0740 in Toronto and toll-free from just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740. Peering into the shadows where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Keeping an eye on the new world order, this is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-740. Four seven forty. Uh, regular listeners to the program will recall uh, um, a gentleman that I've had on the program a number of times, uh, Bill Gibbons, who has been to the Congo Basin in Africa on uh, several expeditions in search of a creature there. The locals uh, refer to as Mokelium bembe, which seems to resemble some sort of a a um, 
Uh, well, it looks like an apatosaurus, I guess what we used to call a brontosaurus. Uh, so the, the question is, are these dinosaurs, is it possible these dinosaurs are still roaming the earth in the far-flung corners of the earth in isolated remote locations? Uh, and now we have reports of, of pterosaurs, these, I guess what at one point in our, in our history may have been referred to as dragons. Um, anyway, a number of sightings uh, all over the world, including Papua New Guinea and the American Southwest. Jonathan Whitcomb has been uh, uh, studying this for some time and uh, personally involved in investigating eyewitness accounts. Uh, is that is that uh, correct, uh, Jonathan? That w- these are probably the, these pterosaurs may account for the legend of the dragon. Yes, in fact, it's interesting. Uh, just the last few weeks, I've gotten that word twice, dragon, in the reports that uh, in the United States, Kansas, and one in Southern California. But we believe, my assertion, I believe that the that many instances of dragon reports in history. Uh, when they refer to something flying, refer to, to pterosaurs. At least many of them do. I would definitely believe that. Now, I want to uh, see if I can connect some dots here with you. Uh, yeah. The We have the legends of dragons, fire-breathing dragons. And then yeah. now we have with these, the, the ropen, what the locals in Papua New Guinea call the ropen. Uh, yeah. They have this bioluminescence uh, is it possible that the fire-breathing legend came from this bioluminescence? Yes, well, I believe you know, this could be complicated. Let me see if we can get a handle on this. All right, when, when, when there's reports and legends, for example, if people report something flying, if anybody, if, if the idea of fire-breathing comes out, then anybody that sees some light in the sky moving by might think it's a, a, a and it looks like it's a, a, a dragon, they'll, they'll think that the glow is from breathing fire. Uh, I think most of those are actually a bioluminescence that comes from the creature, like the rope in the Papua New Guinea, where it, different parts of the body glow. Sometimes it's the wings, and sometimes it's uh, the tail, and so on. And we believe that, that a number of species of, of ropens, long-tailed pterosaurs, live in different parts of the world. And the one on Umboy Island, it glows for about four to six seconds in that range, and then it stops for a while. I believe it's because they're replenishing the secretions, but there's definite uh, scientific ideas about it that, that these are bioluminescent creatures. What would the function be of, of this bioluminescence? Well, Do we know? Yeah there's, a, yeah, there's a number of them. I'll give you an example. On the north side of Umboy Island, uh, the expedition that followed mine by just a few weeks with Garth Kessman and David Wetzel, that expedition uncovered an interesting report on the northern coast of um, Ireland. And on Umboy there, uh, they report that the creature flies down from the cave. They know when it comes out, uh, but not when it comes back. And they, they, when it flies out, it, it glows when it's about to get onto this particular tree on a promontory uh, near the reef. And then the light goes off, and nothing happens for a while, and then later it goes out to feed on the reef. Well, what I think it's doing, the natives say, well, it's it's waiting to see if it's being watched. Well, I don't think it's that. I think it's what it's doing is just replenishing that secretion that it uses in its body to create a brief few seconds of bioluminescence, and then it reuses that to hunt, uh, to, to catch whatever it catches in the reef underwater with another few seconds of light. So different different times it has a different purpose for the light. Is it possible, Jonathan, I'm asking you to speculate here, though, that if we have this nocturnal creature, bioluminescent, 
it lights yeah. up for a moment. So you see the lights over here, and then suddenly the lights are off in another direction. Could that explain, in part, perhaps some UFO sightings? I think it probably does, um, except we, we would just be keep in mind that the ropen is, is reported to fly faster than birds, but slower than airplanes, according to uh, the young natives that talked to me uh, one one day. But um, but if there's a course that the light is going extremely fast and it makes a very sharp uh, immediate turn that's not natural, then that's not a, 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 a you know an organic animal, but um, if it behaves in a way that you think, well, maybe I wonder if a bird could fly that way, then I suspect it could be a ropen. Do they make any sounds? Do they screech? We have different reports of that, yeah. In California, um, had a, well, i got to tell you just a little bit about this recent report from a few days ago in Southern California. that made a burping noise. That was, I've never heard that before. That's strange. It was uh, kind of a gurgling, burping noise. Uh, but generally, uh, that's an exception. Generally, it's a kind of a screech. Now, there are some cases, and we think there are different species now. This is complicated. But some species have a sound that sounds a little bit like echolocation, the kind of a clicking sound, but it's different than what uh, people say the bats sound like. is a different kind of clicking sound. So we have screeches, clicking. I just got a report a few days ago of burping for the first time. Different kind of noises, yeah. Well, tell me a little bit more about the, uh, the, the the recent sighting in Southern California. Give me as many details as you have. Where and by uh, whom? And... It got a put this perspective for since uh, 2004, beginning of 2004, I've been getting uh, emails and phone calls from people uh, in various parts of the world. And, and, I, and I was thinking about going on another expedition just uh, a couple weeks ago and preparing for the possibility some, someday, maybe next year, and then I get a phone call. Well, actually, it was first. It was an email at first. Got an email from this lady in Lakewood, California, just a few miles from my house. And I've never had a report that close before. I was astonished because it's a classic uh, description. So I went over there, drove over, talked to the lady and her husband, and found them to be very credible. The, the, the creature is five and a half feet in the wingspan, dark brown or dark gray, I'm not sure exactly, but it was dark color, and it had a dragon tail, she described, a dragon tail, African appearance, and dragon tail with a kind of a triangle, with the, she uses the word triangle at the end of the tail, and she drew me a picture of that, that tail, and she said it flew up, and it, and it, it was scared when she uh, got up under her um, gazebo to see it, and it, she accidentally scared it, and it flew off to a tree, and this is the middle of the day, and it was only about like 19, 20 feet from her nose to the tail of the creature. So that's a close sighting. And I saw, I, I examined everything, and what I found, I, I didn't know that sharp. Oh, you're breaking up a little bit, Jonathan. I think we're losing you. Okay, listen, why don't we take a, a quick time out, and we'll, uh, we'll uh, try and... Recontact our guest, Jonathan Whitcomb, calling in from Long Beach, discussing pterosaurs, or the ropen, as they're called in Papua New Guinea. We'll continue to delve into the most recent sighting of one of these creatures in Southern California, then we'll talk about his expedition to Papua New Guinea. All that, plus how and why the King of Pop faked his own death coming up after midnight. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Fasten your seatbelt. 
and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind. On The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. And uh, we have re-established uh, contact with Jonathan Whitco- Whit- Whitcomb, author of Searching for Ropens. Jonathan, uh, back to this sighting in, uh, in uh, Southern California, not too far from your home in Long Beach. And we just, yeah. you were breaking up near the end, but this woman was 19, 20 feet away from this creature, five and a half foot wingspan. Described it as having a dragon's tail. This is in the middle of the day. Yeah, it's just a few minutes before noon. It was, it was uh, uh, interesting because she said she's positive there are no feathers. And when the creature opened its wings, the sound was very loud, like, like a fabric, fabric being ra- uh, rattled. And, um, and it startled her. She, she was thinking about just running into the house. <laughs> she's just really, really startled. But then she thought, well, I have to, to look at it. So she stared at it until it flew off. And then uh, I, I had an interview with her and her husband. It's fascinating. It's high credibility. I would say, you know, from interviewing people, it, she was telling the truth. It's for real. Again, the crested head. Did it have, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the, 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 typical, the typical sort of uh, bill with, uh, with sharp teeth and, and so forth? Yeah. I have to get back on the details on that. I'm going to be doing an in-depth uh, um, uh, examination with uh, different silhouettes of different uh, shapes and sizes of beak and head and so on. So I, I still have to do a, uh, a detailed um, uh, investigation with that. I don't know for sure if it had a head crest. I have to get back with her on that. But it definitely had a long tail with uh, the end of the tail suggesting a rampharynchoid uh, tail vein. And, and typically, though, the pterosaurs have long bills with, with sharp teeth, correct? Well, I don't actually get a lot of reports with teeth. I, I have gotten um, one from Cuba, a very significant report, I believe, uh, but this is way back in the 1960s, but the eyewitness is absolutely positive, had many sharp, small, sharp teeth. Um, but I, I still have to get these details from the eyewitness from last week. Again, the skeptics, uh, uh, you know, I can hear them screaming. Where is the photographic evidence? Where is the video? You know, in this age of, uh, of, uh, of uh, cell phone video cameras and so forth, why don't we have photographic evidence? Well, think of it in terms of, you know, human nature. I'll give you an example. With the two soldiers in, in the jungle clearing in 1944 in New Guinea, uh, they saw it fly away. And then they saw it fly back, and it disappeared again in the other direction. Well, after it disappeared the second time, that is when the man remembered that they were carrying a military camera right, right, right with them. Uh, generally, when people see something so startling, they ha- that totally takes their mind away from everything except what in the world is this, to just to stare at it. And occasionally we'll have a person run into the house, like in Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, a few years ago, uh, the man saw it near the airport in Phoenix, and he ran in to get uh, his uh, camera, and he came back, and it was gone. So, 
So, uh, yeah, it's been bad luck, but we hope that here in this particular part of Southern California we can really get it because from the reports I have, it's still in the area, and I, I can still drive to this location, and the man and his wife are, have their, are out at night. They have their cameras and their, their binoculars. So we hope that that problem with lack of photos will be solved soon. I mean, is there any uh, video uh, evidence? Have you seen any photographs yeah. or, or videos of... Yeah. I can warn you about some of them that are not uh, pterosaurs. Uh, one uh, in particular on YouTube, there's actually two versions of it similar. And it's definitely a frigate bird. Uh, it's flying in the daytime, soaring over a, uh, a beach. And um, it's, it has, sometimes you can see in the images a little white on the neck. It's definitely a classic uh, description of a frigate bird. And it has no neck. A ropen um, is not like that. It, uh, it's just... Um, there's some differences. I don't know that we have any uh, photos or videos of uh, one yet. Uh, tell me about your uh, your expedition to Papua New Guinea. When did you go? Yeah, it took me about half a year to prepare, and I was going under the instructions of Paul Nation, who gave me detailed instructions. And it was um, uh, it was uh, I, it was around September. I don't remember exactly when. In September, I got there. And I found a, a guide who could do help me with interpreting the language and, and uh, be a bodyguard and counselor. And the two of us, Luke and I, went uh, taking a ship to Umboy Island. And when we got there, we took a banana boat the next day around the southern coast, up and landed at Opai uh, Beach, which is below the village of Opai. And then we hiked up. I, I was not in the physical condition I should have been in. It was difficult, but uh, we had two weeks there because I was, I was hoping it was more, but I just ran out of money. Was, um, I, I didn't uh, have enough funds to, to go for more than two weeks. What year are we talking? It's 2004. I, got, I finished uh, early in October, I think. Uh, I, I think I uh, don't remember the exact date, but it was early in October when I finished there on Umboy. How many uh, witnesses did you speak with? Well, in total, in Papua New Guinea... Um, Eyewitnesses were, were 17, I believe, in that neighborhood. But most of those were distant sightings of the flying light. The critical ones were when I finally was, had the opportunity to go way up and hike up to a remote village where I met three eyewitnesses who were about 10 years earlier, eyewitnesses of a daylight sighting of the Ropen over Lake Pung, P-U-N-G, a crater lake uh, in the middle of the island. And that was an astonishing sighting because it was uh, clearly flying over the lake. They... Gideon estimated that the tail was 7 meters, 23 feet. The tail alone was 23 yeah. feet. So this is, this is, um, uh, this is may, um, maybe larger than the one that uh, Dwayne Hodgkinson saw. This is astonishing. The, the two other uh, men verified that that's what they had seen. It, it's not possible to say it's a flying fox. There's just no way. A flying fox has a tail that's like maybe one or two inches long. It's measured in millimeters or centimeters, and this is uh, seven meters. There's no question about the, um, that in terms of the, um, the language. Uh, Gideon Coro uh, actually spoke mostly English with me. He, they, he'd been trained in his school locally in the English language, and I tried to speak a little talk pissing, but um, he answered mostly in English. And was this creature at all threatening? Yeah, well, they were terrified. They ran home, and one of the eyewitnesses of those three is it would be Mesa Augustine, 
Mesa was so scared. I, I don't know if it's residual fear, but 10 years later when I was talking to him and interviewing him, um, he was still had a frightened expression on his face, but it, it, it might not necessarily, maybe just frightened of being uh, interviewed. I don't know. But he, he was nervous talking about it. Did you videotape these interviews? Yeah, they're on YouTube. Um, uh, yeah, it's been a few years. I don't recall the exact um, name for that. Rope and look up things like Rope and uh, uh, Papua New Guinea, Umboy, things like that. And uh, did you personally have any sightings or, or near nor, near misses uh, uh, oh, sightings boy. of a rope? When I was hiking up there, up uphill, on the trail I was on, uh, I didn't see anything. And it was a daylight hike, but when I, uh, a few days later, I learned that on that same trail where I was hiking, uh, there had been something on the trail glowing brightly. I think that was a rope, and so I, I missed it by half a day or, or a day or two. Um, but when I was doing the searches at night near Gumlagan Village, I I went to bed one night. Um, I thought, well, I'd searched enough, and my uh, interpreter, Luke, and... Uh, a village leader locally there were staying up longer than me, and while I was sleeping, they saw the rope and light flying across uh, Mount Bell. So I just missed it there. Any plans to go back, Jonathan? I don't think so now. We used to have this sighting in Southern California that, that looks like the creature is still in the area. Of, um, and and the, the problem is that the Americans, for example, they're not prepared flying down. Okay, someone's trying to dial out on your extension, I think. Um, but the, the problem is that um, Americans are not prepared, really, to, um, in general, for this idea that there are living pterosaurs right here in the United States. It's easier to believe in something as far away and just confined, but these creatures are so large, they've just flown all over the world. They're basically just not too many places where they couldn't be. And I have reports all over from uh, Australia, all across to North America, many sightings. Uh, Europe, I have sightings in Europe and Africa and Greece. Um, so they're, they're basically all over. How many emails or phone calls or letters are you receiving uh, a month or a year uh, from witnesses? Well, it's uh, it, it varies. Uh, this month I've had uh, two important sightings so far um, in the United States, at least. Um, the, the challenge is some of them are not as, as, as uh, detailed as others. Some women, sometimes a person would just say, oh, I'm so glad I'm not alone. I saw a pterodactyl once, and they describe it, and they won't say what country they're from. So, um, uh, I get occasionally those, so I don't know how you count them, but I don't get one. I wouldn't say it's once every week, but the challenge is that most people who see living pterosaurs do not report it at all. They they just don't want to deal with it. I can give you examples of that if you want. But sure, uh, sure, I'd love to hear an example an of that. Example in Virginia, and this was oh, let's see, 1960s or 70s or something now and then, and the uh, Chesapeake Bay area. Um, there's a man and his boss and some friends were out there uh, doing the tubing. You know, it's an old sport where you have an inner tube filled with air and you're just playing in the water. And they saw this pterodactyl that they thought, was, I think they call it pterodactyl, and it, was, it just shocked them, and it flew right right over the area and into a tree. And then the, the, the young man wanted to talk about that. Nobody else in the group wanted to say anything. They just wanted to drop it and forget it. 
I find this is a good example. It's common. I could tell you about Dwayne Hodgkinson's friend. You know those two men there? Dwayne was just fascinated. He said, that we saw a pterodactyl. And his friend says, no, we didn't. He says, Dwayne said, but we saw it. And the other soldier said, no, we didn't. So, so people don't want to, to talk about it. They don't want to deal with it. And yet Dwayne Hodgson, uh, Hodgkinson continued to tell that story for some 60 years. Is he still with us, Dwayne? Yeah, at least a few weeks ago. He was still living. Uh, he's just a flight instructor. Um, he was interviewed, in fact, um, by a, do- a small documentary, a low-budget uh, film production documentary, just uh, earlier this year, in fact. And he maintains the story to this very day? Yes. Every time. I've interviewed him many times by telephone, by, by letter, and by email. You know, he's positive. Getting back to uh, North America, um, is there any connection between uh, sightings of pterosaurs, do you think, and the, the Native American legend of the Thunderbird that we see on totems and yeah. so forth? Well, I believe there definitely are. The challenge is that um, how do you differentiate? You know, the, um, It's possible for a legend to have more than one origins, and one sighting of one creature seemed to support... Uh, a belief in something that actually originated with a different one. So there may be still uh, large, very, very large uh, birds with feathers in North America that have a strong uh, influence on the origin of the legends and still be related to some of the, um, the native uh, beliefs in, that come from sightings of pterosaurs, though they're to- two totally different creatures, you know. So it's kind of complicated. I, I want to get back to the uh, the legends of uh, uh, dragons and, and how they may be connected to uh, a pterosaurs. Uh, there are historical records, I understand, uh, uh, for Herodotus, for example, who is considered the father of history. Uh, the, uh, the ancient Greek Herodotus uh, re- reported or wrote about seeing what could only be described as a dragon. Yeah. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, Herodotus, um, and, I, and the problem is I've, I've read something by somebody else from ancient history, and I get them confused. But, um, yeah, there are um, reports, and mainly these are around, um, <coughs> well, not in Israel itself, more than Egypt and Arabia. And uh, they're, well, they're known in the, in the Bible as uh, flying, flying, fiery flying serpents, fiery flying serpents. Um, I believe that that refers to uh, a Ramfranco pterosaur. There's a John Gortzen, G-O-E-R-T something, Gortzen, um, who's written extensively about this in, a, in one report from a, um, a conference. And um, I believe it really was a, a, a Ramfranco pterosaur involved. It was venomous and caused death among the Israelites. Yeah, Herodotus himself, I haven't read it recently on that, so I'm afraid I might confuse it with somebody else. Alexander the Great uh, supposedly encountered some sort of a dragon? Yeah, I don't recall if that was a pterosaur-like one, though, on that one, I don't recall. Um, There are um, inscriptions, you know, on coins and and medallions and so on from uh, Egypt and so on. This is Seref, S-E-R-E-F, a winged serpent. Um, when they draw the pictures, you know, on the pictographs in, 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 in Egypt, remember that this is symbolic. It's very, very, very crude. It's just very simple little drawings. And it doesn't necessarily um, 
Patrick had picked uh, the anatomy of pterosaur, you know, but it's still, I believe it refers to pterosaurs. They're uh, respected and feared both in Egypt and ancient times. Wasn't there also a, uh, a, um, a newspaper in England that reported a, sort of a flyby of, of, uh, of um, I don't know what you would call a group of dragons, not a flock, I'm guessing, but oh. a bunch of dragons flying over the city of London or something back in the 1800s? Or I don't recall that report. I know the one that's in um, a tunnel in France is surely a hoax. There's some major problems with that one. Ah, uh, we okay. got a lot of that. That's, I think, 1856, is that a London uh, Illustrated News? That um, has some very strong um, evidence uh, that it was a hoax. Or if it wasn't a hoax, it was it was made into a hoax. If there was any truth in it, it was uh, unfortunately uh, made into a hoax by somebody. But there are reports in modern times. I mean, I've I've communicated with um, a lady in England who uh, was when she was a child, I think about ten or eleven, when she saw a dragon that was glowing and it was flying over southern England. So it's. Definitely, there are sightings still in Europe. I have a sighting in, in Spain, in the desert in Spain. Um, yeah, and one in Amsterdam. Uh, so their their sightings continue. Jonathan, why is this so important? Why have you dedicated your life to investigating this this creature? Why why so important? Well, I'll tell you basically that one of the it's, it's a deep subject and has a lot of different levels of purpose in it, but. I'll tell you one thing. People need to listen to other people when they experience something. We have to be careful not to get carried away so much with, with dogmas in our, in, our, in our own little cultural um, envelope, you know, and not be too concerned with that when we have eyewitnesses say something else. We need to listen to people when they experience something. Uh, and when you have people all over the world saying basically the same thing, we really have to pay attention because the people come from different religions, different languages, different cultures, different uh, personal beliefs. And when they see the same thing, a featherless creature flying around with a long tail, we really need to pay attention and just learn to do that. If we would pay attention and listen to people, there wouldn't be so much warfare, there wouldn't be so much problems with... Um, uh, misunderstandings between people of different countries. Uh, granted, but why this creature in particular? For example, uh, could this be uh, perceived uh, uh, as, a, as, as a threat? If it in fact exists and could be proven to exist, could this... I mean, I, we would have to rewrite textbooks. We would... I mean, there are, there are uh, you know, museums or, or uh, uh, you know, paleontologists who, who have, have it all wrong if this is the case. Yes, that's true, and that's, uh, unfortunately, science means that sometimes uh, a lot of people are very inconvenienced, say the, the least, and for example, at the time of Galileo, uh, it, it was very embarrassing to have people start believing in, the, in a, a, an earth that actually went around the sun, because it's such a popular um, teaching in the universities in Europe for generations, and it's the same now we have with this situation with the pterosaurs. Uh, it definitely means we need to re-examine our assumptions. Now, I don't say that the Earth is 6,000 years old or the universe is 6,000 years old. That's not my personal belief, but we need to listen to people from different beliefs and see where the truth is and see where the errors are in, in all different points of view. 
Are there any plans that you're aware of to try and capture uh, the ropen or these pterosaurs uh, in Papua New Guinea? Uh, well, yeah, I'm um, I'm under some restrictions on what I can say on that. Um, uh, I'm not at present personally involved with any um, uh, attempts at capturing any, anything uh, in, in the sense that I have a any equipment or anything that on, on my on my own person just to, to capture one, but the, um, there are things in the works. I could say that, but there, I mean, there's certain things I'm restricted. I can't say. I understand, but, w- but would you be in favor of such a program to capture one of these? Oh, absolutely! Well, it would be just wonderful to have a, a live specimen um, captured for a zoo. Uh, I think I, I mean I, I'm 100 percent in favor of that. I mean, if 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 that comes to fruition. That would be that would have to be considered one of the the great discoveries uh, of the last I don't know several hundred years. Would you well, wouldn't yeah. you agree? Yeah, absolutely. It'd be extremely important in science. It would be a great historical significance. Though actually, my own personal um, work would be going on to the next stage, which is finding another species of pterosaur because there's more than one. I don't want people to think that, well, when we find one species and that's it, you know, one species survived because there are other species of pterosaurs, and we need to keep on searching and finding. In order for this species to be viable, and you say they've they've been seen around the world, what kind of a breeding population do you think we're looking at here? Well, that's not my specialty. I can just speculate. We have, um, and I'll tell you, a recent uh, breakthrough, and I I guess uh, indirectly, a couple of days ago, I was thinking through everything that's been happening. I realized, well, in North America, the reason we don't find them so easily, they're hiding, a lot of them are probably hiding in conduits. Anything that, that's built under a road to, to, to take the, the, the rainwater and streams and rivers and so on is a place where a, pterosaur, a nocturnal pterosaur could be, could be sleeping in the daytime. And people, don't, people can go spelunking and go in caves and... I've never had a report from anybody finding a, a pterosaur in a cave. Off, I don't remember uh, any kind of report like that. But apparently here in Southern California, we have a situation where this five-and-a-half-foot wingspan uh, rope and apparently uh, seems to be living uh, underneath a park, a public city park, um, because nobody goes under there into that uh, storm drain. So we have places all over the United States and other countries, too, where they can easily um, live and have ways to get out at night and fly around. So they don't... That's why we get, I think, some occasionally we have a report from the city, like we did last week, a report from a large populated area, and say, how in the world can a pterosaur be over a, a large city? Well, they, they hide in these places, probably, these, um, these conduits... Um, I would suspect, though, a, a, a ropen with a wingspan of even five and a half feet, that's not something that you would want to tangle with. Well, if I get permission from this particular city, uh, uh, I would be delighted to go under and try and, and go in there with uh, some of my associates. I have two of them now that have a good chance, one who's a, a firefighter locally and another one who has um, uh, been... Uh, uh, camera operator with a company owned by Disney, a documentary camera. Um, so I would I would be delighted to get under there. It's, it's worth the chance. You wouldn't be afraid? Well, I'd be nervous when I got down there, but, 
but the opportunity is just incredible. Um, we have to take precautions because some of them are dangerous. And before we finish, especially in Canada, people would be very, very careful in British Columbia because there are reports of human deaths that might be tied to uh, to some uh, uh, flying creatures that are nocturnal in a particular place in British Columbia. We need to be very careful. Oh, can you? Well, we have a, a couple minutes. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, it's it's um, it's related to some of the species that emit this apparently poisonous kind of vapor when they're attacked or disturbed or, or when they're uh, attacking prey, potential prey. You know, we have one account of a, if I remember right, a piece of a horse up on top of a tree in such a way that where you can't have a scavenger bird that's strong enough to carry that up there to into a tree. I think some of the people have been gone missing on this highway. I can't remember which one it is. Uh, uh, in British Columbia, but some of the people that are missing over many years are not from human criminals, but from natural predators, these, uh, uh, I don't know, ropens, but some nocturnal flying predator. You mean, you believe that some certain missing people uh, along a certain stretch of highway in B.C. may have been taken by pterosaurs or the ropen? It's possible. It's uh, There's a book written by, by somebody who's, uh, uh, let's see, um, Isaac Mc... Oh, what is his name? It's called the uh, Devil Bird, I believe. I, I haven't read it lately. Devil Bird, okay. Well, Devil we can Bird Google that. Edition. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm not positive that's the title of the book, but anyway, it, uh, it deals with this situation where there are native traditions there that the, the Aboriginal, whatever you call in Canada, whatever you call the, um, the, the people that are... Aboriginals, yes, Native Aboriginal. Canadians, correct. Um, yeah. Yeah, that they have these traditions that the people, those people don't go out at night. They just stay indoors. And uh, unfortunately, not all Canadians in that area uh, heed the warning, and some of them have gone out hitchhiking, and they, they've gone missing. And there is one case where a, a girl, I don't know if it, she was 11 or 12 or 13, I, I don't know, but she thought there were some boys teasing her or something. She ran one night, ran at them to... to to chase them away, and she's startled to see this big winged creature there in, in the dark. Uh, and it got startled and scared, and it emitted this vapor from its a mouth, I believe. And the vapor didn't hurt her, it didn't touch her, I don't think, but it, then the creature flew away. This is classic of, this, of one species that does this in other parts of the world and other parts of history. It is dangerous in some conditions. Well, thank you for the warning. And, uh, uh, all you hitchhikers out there, uh, best maybe to do that uh, thumbing in the daylight in certain parts of uh, British Columbia. Jonathan Whitcomb, a real pleasure. Great to talk to you again. And the book, again, Searching for Ropens. Can you give us a website? Yeah, the easiest is www.ropens.com. Ropens.com. Jonathan, listen, um, uh, stay in touch. Any more details uh, that you can get on the uh, the recent sighting in Southern California? of the uh, the Ropen, and if, by chance, you get permission to uh, explore or spelunk beneath this city park uh, down in your parts, let us know what you find. Okay. Jonathan Whitcomb. When we come back, how and why the King of Pop faked his own death. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show here on AM 740. Don't go away.
From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Hey, welcome back. Well, it is officially a Monday, June the 25th, and it was on this date three years ago, 2009, that we were told the king of pop, Michael Jackson, checked out. He was uh, renting a, a mansion uh, in a, a suburb of Los Angeles and, of course, preparing for This Is, his, this is It tour, his uh, momentous swan song, so we were told. And then a, um, a panicked 911 call, 911 call, uh, from a physician and, a, and a, uh, an aide at the mansion. And Jackson, um, we were told, died of respiratory arrest following an overdose of propofol. This is the official report. However, my next guests say that is not the case. They claim that, according to their sources inside intelligence gathering, the intelligence gathering community, Michael Jackson faked his own death. He is alive and well and living in, well, we'll find out exactly where. Uh, but first, here to tell us why he faked his death and how he faked his death are our good friends Nelson Thal, who, of course, our resident media scientist and a playwright. He's worked as a university lecturer, film, radio, and television producer, researcher, director. He initially trained under Marshall McLuhan at the University of Toronto, the former president of the Marshall McLuhan Center on Global Communications, and then director for the Center for Media Sciences. Early on, he started researching the JFK assassination with Mr. Penn Jones in 1972, as well as working with May Russell and Sherman Skolnick, the great American judge buster. And he is also, of course, the researcher for The Conspiracy Television Show with yours truly. Nelson Thal, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, buddy? It's great being here again with you, Richard. And we also have with us Mrs. Jane Steele, also a playwright, researcher, writer, James Joyce scholar. She's produced the popular internet radio show Shock Talk with Bloomin' Steele since 2008 and is currently on hiatus working as a media scientist in the global theater. Ms. Steele, welcome. It's great to be here. All right, June 25th, 2009. Take us back, either one of you, uh, walk us through sort of what the official version. Uh, I mean, we know uh, about the, the 911 call and, and the claim that, you know, respiratory failure and uh, the propofol overdose. What else can you tell us? You want to start off? Um, sure. Why don't you fill us in? Well, actually, you know what? He um, decided to uh, create a hoax. That was what the big plan was. I know that um, he was found and he was supposed to have died from this drug overdose. And I know his doctor was blamed for it. But in fact, the whole thing was a hoax that he created. He was the illusionist. He was putting on a show. So that really wasn't Michael Jackson. That body was not Michael Jackson's body. And 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 how did you come to know this? I mean, I know that you, you, uh, you are connected with in certain intelligence gathering... Uh, sources. I know we, you can't divulge names, but, but when did you first find out about this plot, Nelson? You know, I've been following these death lists since I met May Brussel and uh, Penn Jones, and they started to follow these death lists. And uh, Michael Jackson's a good example of a guy who also 
was following what was happening in the intelligence community, uh, had his fingers into it, and within his lyrics exposed a lot of it, and he woke up. He was part of an MK Ultra operation, and he, he woke up out of it, and like John Lennon woke up and started to tell us about the mind games that were going on, and, you know, the whole Tavistock... Uh, mind control weapon operation with the Tavistock engineers, George Martin. Um, we've done we've done a lot of shows on this, of course, and so so he falls into that whole um, realm of of enemies of the establishment. Well, can you point to specific lyrics uh, or or messages or memes that Michael Jackson was conveying that made him a threat to the establishment? Yeah, we will in a minute. I think it's important to also point out, Richard, as we've done shows before, that World War II never ended as we know. It just went inside. And that's important to understand the takeover, and we've talked about that, the Pentagon and how uh, the boys from Brazil continued the war inside and went inside the systems. Okay. Uh, Nelson Thal, media scientist, and Ms. Jane Steele, playwright, researcher, and uh, producer for Bloom and Steele, or Shock Talk with Bloom and Steele, here on The Conspiracy Show, talking about Michael Jackson. Let me uh, also invite uh, callers uh, to the, uh, the program. If you believe that Michael Jackson may have faked his own death, uh, or if you believe he did not, we'd love to hear from you. Nonetheless, 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740, and 1-866-740-4740. Uh, Nelson's raising his hand. It's like it's in, you know, in a just school. To, <laughs> well, go ahead, Nelson. What do you do? To give a greater depth to the answer to your question, let me just say that as we said, um, we've been following the... Um, gossip within the intelligence community for many, many decades now. And what happens is that as we start to follow it, we start to hear rumors in advance of these operations that are going on. Because when you're dealing with uh, – uh, Michael Jackson was dealing with people like Nation of Islam, dealing with Farrakhan, dealing with um, people who understood that his enemies were attacking him. Remember, Michael Jackson was press conference friendly, Rich. Let's never forget this. There's very few people who are press conference friendly. You know, he calls a press conference, they're going to show up and he's a threat to the establishment. And he could start to expose a lot of the secrets he knew. And um, he realized that he had to get off the uh, Rothschild grid, so to speak. He had to, because... As a, because he was press conference friendly, as so many others out of the MK Ultra program, like Michael Jordan, um, Magic Johnson, or Jay Simpson. Look at the letters too, right? Look at MK, MJ, MK Ultra, MJ. There's a whole okay, list but- of 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 uh, operations that are going on against the enemy of the establishment. But I'm still trying to understand why he was a threat. What what were some of his messages that... that uh, uh, what, why was Michael Jackson a threat to the establishment? Well, first of all, he could start to talk about the Underground Reich and the Bormann Brotherhood and the, and the Himmler-Lebensborn project, and he left proof of this in his writings, as does um, Merle Brooks, and I mean, there's just so many people, the boys from Brazil. That, yeah, but where in... Ja- I mean, I'm I'm hearing, you know, Michael yeah. Jackson, like you he know, was Billy a, Jean and Thriller, and I'm, I'm, where are these dangerous political the, messages? Well, in well, his um, album, it's called Escape, like E X 
S-C-A-P-E. Um, he actually said, this is it. I'm out of here. And um, dead or alive, you be the judge. So his plan was to get out because they were really after him. I believe that the judge, Sony Records, and many people that he worked with actually wanted to steal all his money. So... Plus, remember John Lennon. Well, first of all, Rich, we've set the scene here. We understand that John Lennon, first of all, with his last, his very last videos, his last music was called Mind Games and exposed Rome. This, this we've done, you know, we've done TV shows and radio shows using using scenes from his Mind Games. So he set the scene and started to pave about the Tavistock, exposed Tavistock, the mind games, the, the weapons. Okay, but that's John Lennon, but what about Jackson? What well, did he well, say well, that was remember, dangerous? Both these men become, both these men are created by the the uh, the Tavistock MK Ultra programs. And then they become a threat because they become so big they can call press conferences and start to expose the fact that there's so much mind control and propaganda going on. Okay, but I'm just, I guess I'm just, can you give me an example of something in well, his lyrics? They don't oh, really the, care about us. Oh, so it's all I want to say is that they don't peppered. really care about us. Trepidation, speculation, everybody, allegation. In the suite, on the news, kick me, kike me, dope, black or white me. So he was really being attacked by the music industry. And he wanted to get off the grid. Mm-hmm. Now, so, remember, so he was a victim of the hate. Community, we hear more and more from people involved in the operation that moved the money, that made them, that were involved in moving him out of the country and off the system. Let's talk about Dr. Conrad Murray. Yeah, who I guess is what the fall guy? Was he in on the hoax? Was he caught well, in the crossfire? I think these are all part of the same sort of proof. When you look at and 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 the. Um, and Tomei Tomei. When you look at the people around him, you'll see tentacles of that same operation that were preparing uh, false figures to be blamed. Oswald, Second Assassins, etc., etc. Other There were parallel operations so that the whole issue became clouded and confused and they could get away with it. But, but, would, but was Dr. Conrad Murray... In on this, or did he? Was he actually? I mean, if Michael Jackson, you know, wanted to fake his own death, that's one thing. But if 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 other people are going to jail <laughs> as a result, well, Sherman H. Skolnick told me about many people who were prominent people who were supposedly in jail, but the warden left out, let out the corruption. Read Illinois Justice Skolnick brought down the top, the Supreme Court judges who was a former governor of the state. The corruption is huge. How do you know he was in jail? That's a fair Skolnick, question. Okay. Skolnick wasn't in jail. When he was put in jail for not revealing his sources, the judge put him in jail. The warden let him out that night. The letter went from the governor to the warden saying, how's Mr. Skolnick? With three months later, oh, he's fine. So we don't really know who's in jail. Dr. Murray, do you know if he's in a jail? We don't. No. People are questioning not whether sure. Conrad Black was in a jail. Right. That's true. So, That's true. you know. I mean, like, we really don't, this is the essence, we don't know because the media is so um, controlled and so much of the, the global theaters played out through the media, uh, we don't know what the real story is. We know we're told the guy's going to jail, but is he? <clears throat> I guess my other question regarding Michael Jackson would be, why would he 
choose June 2009 on the eve of this big comeback tour, his swan song, This Is It. He's, uh, you know, the, 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 the night before... He was, uh, you know, at the, I, I believe, the Staples Center. He had uh, rented the Staples Center in Los Angeles to to, uh, to to rehearse. Why would all of a sudden he launch this big comeback tour announcement and then not follow through with it? <laughs> the timing is odd, is what he, I'm saying. He, he left the country. Uh, operatives and intelligence agents say he left the country two years before his death. And uh, you're looking at clones. You're looking at at, at doubles. Well, he could just have a like, double, just, right? Hey, the dictator, Sasha yeah. Baron Cohen, has a great movie out called The Dictator. It's all about rich hell. Not only are there doubles, but the real guys who supposedly are killed are, are all down in Paraguay and alive. All right? It, some great stuff's being exposed. So um, y- you've got to remember that uh, what's reported in the media and what people are told often is not the real truth. All right, we'll uh, take a time out. We'll come back and discuss why and how Michael Jackson, the king of pop, faked his own death three years ago. Today, Nelson Thal, media scientist, and Miss Jane Steele, researcher, writer, James Joyce scholar, in studio back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. AM 740. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. AM 740. To see the light, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. All right, still trying to wrap my head around why Michael Jackson was a threat, and I think I'm starting to understand. Nelson Thal in studio along with uh, Miss Jane Steele, uh, producer of Shock Talk with Bloom and Steele. Uh, Nelson, off air, you were saying, and this is, was sort of kind of an aha moment for me, you say that, that, uh, that Michael Jackson saw the wizard behind the curtain. In other words, uh, he was a creation... Uh, of this, uh, this um, sort of this top-down uh, conspiracy, the people that are programming our culture and our reality, these secret societies. He knew the names and the, and, and so forth, but and, and that made him a threat. But he had not been in the public eye, really. I mean, he had after the uh, the uh, and, we'll, and we'll get into these uh, you know these uh, charges, these allegations of. Um, uh, um, a child molestation and so forth. After that, though, he stayed quiet. Like well, he could have just—he could have, if he had wanted to, he could have just fallen off the radar. And I don't know. After go- he was found innocent, you mean? Because he, the Justice Department was after him. He right. knew he was a threat. He knew they had cooked up these lies about him. So the molestation charges were part of the same attempt to, to bring him down. Is that? The idea. Oh, of course. Right. It was an attack, part of the attack on him. So he real when he got when he got on the day he was released, and he it, the court decision was made. His people that night told him, "Look, the Justice Department. We know from people in Justice Department, they're going to continue to go after you. You better get out of this country." Right. Right. That's the reason he left. Would you stay? So I understand, and the intelli- people involved in the operation are now saying that they moved the kids and 
uh, him out of the country two years before his supposed death. And what really happened is the whole incident of the baby waving and everything, and they wore scarves and they wore masks, was that was the double. I mean, you didn't even need a really perfect double in order to play the game that he was doing and what he was creating. 416-360-0740 416-360-0740 and uh, 1-866-744-740, the numbers to call. Let's uh, say hello to David in Smithville. David, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Um, it's funny that you use the term coming back from break about being behind the mask, because that's a term that Kathy O'Brien used a lot in her book, Transformation of America. She claimed to be an MK Ultra survivor, and she actually said that they use uh, The Wizard of Oz as programming, uh, that people that are familiar with her book would, would understand that. And she also claimed that, um, that Elizabeth Taylor, of all people, helped Michael Jackson to break his conditioning. I was wondering if you, uh, how you guys feel about um, Kathy O'Brien's work and, and whether you put any credence in that. I've heard the, um, the Wizard of Oz being used as some sort of a trigger uh, a number of times from various mind control uh, people I've had on the program. I've had Kathy on years and years ago. Miss um, um, Jane Steele, did you want to comment on that? I've actually um, read quite a bit about Kathy O'Brien, and I believe that everything did happen to her. And yes, they use the MK mind control on the musicians and also um, monarch mind control on the female uh, musicians. So yes... I think it's all very true. All right, David, thank you for the call. We're just uh, scrambling here to try to get uh, a headset that's working for, uh, for Nelson. Um, let, me, um, let me go back to something uh, I, I, we were starting to talk about, and that is Michael Jackson, back in the, uh, I believe it was the mid-1980s, perhaps the late 1980s, uh, purchased the Beatles catalog. Uh, Right from under Paul McCartney as he was attempting to buy uh, some of the, that music back. Did that have anything to do with why he was targeted? What did Michael Jackson well, discover when he bought the Beatles catalog? Well, I think he discovered something about uh, George Martin, Sir George Martin. Nelson, do you want to say anything about uh, yeah, that? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would He's want a wizard. to be, I, you know, the, the real ownership of these, the music property here is in, in in the hands of Tavistock and the psycholo- and and the psychological warfare division of the British Army. Remember, Walter Cronkite was identified by uh, Garrison as a British Army general, part of the part of Tavistock. So, like, r- let's not forget what's really going on here. Walter Cronkite, the voice and con- who has access to the collective consciousness, tells America what to believe is a British Army general out of Tavistock. I mean, uh, okay, but so connect the dots uh, for us. Michael Jackson you've, you've buys got, the Beatle catalog. What specifically does he discover? What he discovers is that Tavistock owns it, and it's been a manufactured of uh, Lennon and, and I don't McCartney didn't have any ownership. Possibly, it, it looks like he didn't have any ownership of, of the of the Beatles. So when, when which is why they replaced them, and of course John Lennon tried to show that in the album uh, Abbey Road in the in the in the album that that they had that they had. Uh, 
created a double for Paul. So Paul, or so so Michael Jackson thinks he's making a shrewd business investment by buying the cat the Beatles I, catalog, and what he discovers is, I guess the the um, the chain of of uh, I don't think ownership. he discovered it. I think he knew it before he bought it. Ah. I'm sure he knew that's why it was dangerous. He knew all this before buying it was a way of saying to everybody, I know about it. In other words, what he knew was McCartney and Lennon didn't write that music. It was created, produced, uh, manufactured by George Martin uh, and the Tavistock Institute who created the Beatles as some sort of the mind control engineers. He knew that he was now working for mind control engineers for, to, to turn the mind into d- different areas that he didn't think the public mind should be turned into. How did Michael Jackson figure this all out? Well, I think uh, to get to the position where he, they're knowledgeable enough and sensitive enough to write the, the B poets, to be terrific poets, gives them an ability to perceive what's going on that other people don't have. The other question, I guess, would be, why would he abandon his children? Well, he didn't. Well, uh, we see his children. Well, his you know. children and he, were the family was moved offshore. They were all moved offshore. The pilots confirm it was they were moved up. Pilots for the for the different intelligence agencies report that they flew them. One of the you know. One of the great ways of getting intelligence that I found in my life as a student was as a commercial air, as a commercial pilot, I could move all through a community right up into the intelligence agencies because pilots are pilots regardless of who they work for. And you're again, you're getting this information from. Can I? I won't. We. I know the name. I won't say the name. You know, obviously. I've met pilots who will say to me, "You know what." I flew Saddam Hussein from Iraq to Paraguay, and over Africa, Bush sent squad fighter jets to escort us. Uh, and this was okay. supposedly after Hussein was hanged. Exactly. Exactly. Commercial airline pilots yeah, have told course, you this. Pardon me. And commercial airline pilots have told you this. Airline, Air Airline Force pilots. pilots. Oh, Air Force pilots. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. But again, uh, who, in terms who of the, retire and become commercial pilots. In terms of the providence of this information, yeah. I won't say the name. You've told me the name. People yeah. would recognize the name. But this is coming from primarily former CIA, FBI. Correct? Can you say that? The information that you're getting about Michael Jackson. The oh, confirmation. It's, it's former coming, CIA, former FBI. I'd say it would be um, uh, above that. It would be it would be in secret service. The secret service. Yeah, not not way above FBI and CIA in secret service. So uh, Michael, because Jack- it's British intelligence guys that were really after him. Right, because MI6, Tavistock, Sir George Martin, <laughs> Sir George Martin. Okay, the, the, the same British, people that John Lennon the British ticked Crown. off. The same people the same Lennon people, ticked off. The British Crown. Yeah. So, again, two years. Before his death, just after he's declared innocent in the latest uh, round of uh, allegations of child molestation, Jackson makes the decision to take him and his family offshore. Absolutely. And don't think that the Diana assassination, he knew about that, and he realized that that was another indication of what happens if you run into some of these families over in the aisles. So where did they go? The Club of the Aisles. Do we know where Michael Jackson is today? 
Well, uh, Michael Jackson, no, we don't know where he is to right today. He may be in Los Angeles. He may be in Toronto. Uh, he, 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 basically, he moved his money offshore, and he spent a lot of time with friends of his in Bahrain. Bahrain. Okay. that's. Yeah. I was trying to get to that because yeah. I think it's at but one point— But there's other African nations that he has traveled to, very, very wealthy— heads of state of these nations. And that's how he gets back into the United States. He gets a diplomatic plate and diplomatic passport from from Bahrain or another foreign government out of Africa. And he has under diplomatic passport. He just shows it up at the customs in the U.S. and walks right through. But how how does someone as high profile as Michael Jackson with such a distinct hat on? He puts a hat on. (laughs) He puts a hat on. He comes in a private jet. Where are them? I know. He goes into a, 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 and I'm sure he was dancing. There's a lot of reports he was dancing at the awards. Right, Mrs. In the background, yes. Which awards? Well, also. um, The music awards. He was supposed to be in the background. Now, he, of course, has doubles. Sure. So he can move around quite freely, as most people that are in the celebrity status have, have, you know, doubles. So, I mean, all the big world leaders have doubles. We know that. But if. So he. If he has been targeted uh, for... He's no longer a threat to them now that he's dead, quote unquote, because he can't call a press conference and talk to the people. That's Ah. the power. The power is, look, if you and I put out a... hire a press agent tonight and say, we're going to have a press conference tomorrow, no one's going to show up. CNN's not going to show up. But if Michael Jackson calls, sends up to his press agent an email, I'm having a press conference in three days... The world shows up. That's a big threat to the establishment. He can start to expose the the wizard behind the curtain, their dirty laundry. Well, that same thing happened to John Lennon about a week before he died or was killed. Yeah. Actually, he was he killed, said he assassinated. Was run for governor. <laughs> uh, well, also he was going to expose some of the machinations behind the scenes of yeah. what was really happening, and he died one week later. So there's one example, and the same thing with JFK Jr. He was going to run for governor, right? And uh, John Lennon was going to run for what was he going to well, run for? Guys, governor too, I think. This is a death list that we keep that comes out of the JFK death list, and that's threats to the establishment. You and I have done a lot on that. So, if, if by by declaring by faking his own death, Michael Jackson was essentially telling uh, MI6 or whomever, "I give up. You win. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Yeah. And they'll leave him alone now. That's yeah. the idea. Yeah, sure." And we don't know. He's no longer a threat. Now, there was something else, uh, another reason, and I'm not sure if he was connected to this or not. You can tell me. Uh, Nelson Thal in studio along with Ms. Jane Steele uh, from uh, Shock Talk with Bloom and Steele. And we're talking about the, uh, the, the, uh, the how and the why Michael Jackson may have faked his own death uh, three years ago today. And incidentally, if, uh, if you uh, think there may be some credence to this argument, we'd love to hear from you at 416 360 0740. That's in the greater Toronto area. 416 360 0740. Toll free from Thunder Bay to the Carolinas, Maine to Minnesota. 1 866 744 740. Seems incredible. Uh, however, uh, you know, when we're talking about the, uh, the world of cloak and dagger, um, there are many, many uh, uh, strange things going on, obviously, in, uh, in the world of political subterfuge. So who knows? Could Michael Jackson still be wandering around? You tell me. Again, 416-360-0740 and toll-free 1-866-744-740. Was Michael Jackson in some, in some way connected with O.J. Simpson 
Michael Jordan and some of these other prominent black American figures that some say, again, were targeted. Yeah, you know, there really is a stronger connection than people realize because what's happened is that as we had a – as the establishment of the United States became far more right-wing and fascist, it became far more frightened of people who could challenge its authority and um, certainly one of the the groups, wealthy blacks uh, in the wealthy black culture – uh, started to hear rumblings that, uh, as George Carlin said in the 80s, they started to hear rumblings that uh, the the government and the military was gearing up for war with a lot of countries that had black-skinned people. And this became uh, worrisome to that culture, to that community, that uh, that the a brotherhood of them all start to realize that you have to maybe take some action to try and protect the, the, themselves can we talk about and can we talk about this this particular um, uh, a group that got together to buy what the, was it the ford motor company the ford international to Who? buy which was one of the major uh hubs of the American military-industrial complex because it's based on the tank, the Blitzkrieg. The boys from Brazil base it on the Blitzkrieg, which is the tank. Ford International and its conglomerates basically uh, are the suppliers, manufacturers of the engines, the dreads, the wheels, not the whole thing, not the electronics, but a major part of it, plus the gut, the weapons so and, the, the, and, the, and, and, and the bullets, quote-unquote. So it. this group of uh, wealthy um, African-American um, uh, showbiz people, people like Artists. Bill Cosby, Michael yeah. Jackson, O.J. Simpson, perhaps Michael Jordan, and decided and, and, to, to, and to they were the get tip- a group the tip of the iceberg because there were remember um, what's not seen in America is there's a lot of very very wealthy black families that made money legally honestly at when they took control of the plantations and in the Constitution of the United States there's still uh, money paid to the British Crown for cotton and tobacco tariffs and that's paid by wealthy black families in America that do business with the British Crown and they also were part of that group. And so they decided as a group, and they yeah. were sort of affronted by... Um, these guys. These guys. Uh, these athletes. Jackson, these Bill performers. Cosby. They decided they were going to buy the Ford Motor Company? Yeah, as a way or of... Or take it over? Yeah, as a way of getting some control over... The military-industrial complex. Exactly. So exactly. it wouldn't be targeted against African-Americans. Right, right, right. And so... What what are we saying then? By extension, that well, the, Jackson, as part of this group, was again being targeted. O.J. Simpson. He wasn't a financial part of it, but he's a part of the brotherhood. That brotherhood of right. That tribal brotherhood that that tried to take over the Ford yeah, Motor Company. The, so, and the, and what about O.J. Simpson? Are we saying then that he was framed? Oh yeah. Well, O.J. Simpson, before a jury of his peers, was found innocent. Do you not believe in the American justice system, Richard? Well, he was found innocent. One can believe in the First American of justice all, what system, happened but that... to him was he ran. He ran into not only glass ceilings but glass swords, and uh, they decided that they would. They killed his wife, and they they sent him a gun in the mail and said, "You better do yourself as well." 
And, of course, a whole operation went into effect to save O.J. Simpson's life. Right. And that's why they used the Ford Bronco, because it was Ford International stock option and derivatives, et cetera, that they were able to leverage to take control. And they weren't going to be allowed to have that control. Okay, so that was payback for Jacks or for uh, for O.J. Simpson. He yeah. got away that time, but then they set him up again in Las Vegas, right? Well, this is a man who's very, very angry because of uh, somebody who killed his wife and blamed it on him. So he's very became very vulnerable to. He's a man out for revenge, and you know, Richard the Chinese say, a man who seek revenge dig two graves. Interesting. All right. Let's say hello to uh, Michael in Toronto. Michael, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Your thoughts. Michael Jackson, dead or alive? Hello, Michael. I think Jackson is dead. Not buying the uh, faked his own death theory. What do you think about the fact that he bought the Beatle catalog and perhaps that may have had something to do with it? I think... I think... I I don't believe that. I mean, I think... I think... I think the fact that he... Uh, his ex-father-in-law, Elvis Presley, who some people say faked his own death, too, could have as much to do with it as anything else. I mean, I, I think he's dead. I honestly do. All right, Michael, appreciate the call. Thanks for weighing in. Before he goes, yes. Uh, uh, what is his reasons? Like, does he feel, like, is he, do you feel that he's dead because they got him? That he didn't, his plan to get away failed? Like, what is the reason, you know, what happened that he was dead uh, in that, in that d- d- ultimately the same gang that got John Lennon and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, et cetera, John F. Kennedy, John F. Kennedy Jr. ultimately got him too. He didn't get away. I, mean, I wonder if that's what he means. Michael? Uh, I'm, I mean, I think in, I, I don't believe that every death is a great conspiracy. I, I mean, I think he, I think he really did, you know, have a drug problem to an extent, and damn So you um, believe the official story? Is that correct? I think. The government uh, story, I, you I mean, believe? You don't think the law of averages? Understanding what we've been living through for the last, well, since, since you know, where there's not a government story. Like, even Admiral Moore of the Joint Chiefs of Staff said the government story for TWA 800 was a lie. I mean, the law of averages, who's going to believe a government story? Okay, but here, here uh, Michael, thank you for the call. Here's the thing with Michael Jackson. If, I mean, he, if we are to believe that he did have a drug problem, and we've heard from a number of different sources, and uh, there, you know there were tapes released of him in some sort of a drug-induced stupor, which was very tragic to hear. If the government really, or whoever, the M- MI6 or whomever, wanted to silence Michael Jackson, it, there would be far more simpler ways than to attempt some sort of the equivalent of a political assassination by trumping up uh, child molestation charges. I mean, they could simply order someone to sneak in there with the black bag and give him an overdose. They could have knocked him off that way. So maybe, you know... Yeah, they may have gotten to him before he had a chance. There's no doubt about it. But um, uh, remember, uh, we, would have to have, we, we would have to have a number of people within the intelligence community. Usually the intelligence community, Richard, it's funny. There's a code amongst them because they have to um, get the truth out in order, to, in order to, as a catharsis, to keep their sanity. So usually, if what 
I understand where the caller is coming from, but if, if he had died, if they had assassinated him uh, with high tech, some high tech uh, weapon, some high tech way of, uh, or just some crazed they, fan with a gun, just like well, Lennon. No, but I'm just saying no. But I'm just saying if he's actually dead, mm-hmm. the real Michael Jackson, right. and the official story is true, right? If that's true, then we should see evidence of it within the intelligence communities, and um, we don't. Well, so so how how many uh, people within the community, the intelligence community, are telling you the same story? Is it one, two? Oh, it's hundreds, hundreds, hundreds. Why would hundreds. they? Why there's, would they there's, out there's, there's a there's 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 email list of of hundreds of guys who who are Secret around. Service, CIA, FBI. yeah, yeah. Why would they out him then? Pardon me. Why would they divulge that information? I mean, do they? Do they? Why do they want the world to know that this happened? Uh, they're not divulging the information. They're just uh, they're talking amongst themselves, and they don't care if somebody else looks over their shoulders and takes it away from there because they're really, really, really PO'd. So these they, they're really been uh, been. They're out for revenge as well because they've been abused and they've been lied to. They so, know. so ah, so can I can I can I surmise from that that we might be talking about African American members of the Secret Service or the yes, CIA? Yes, absolutely. Ah, okay, now we're starting. I'm starting well, to understand. You, right. I've, you know that some people are are. I mean, there's a black CIA agents union. Uh, that is very close with the FBI Black Agents Union, and when the when the during the the 2000 uh, election in in Florida, when Black CIA and Black FBI agents saw that uh, the governor Bush had brought in the National Guard and arrested the black area voters and left the white area voters alone, those black agents started to get together to talk to the retired black agents. And you've got a whole community there of black Secret Service, FBIC, who are all separately in communication and talking about. Now it's starting to come become clear to me. Thank you. All right, back with more of The Conspiracy Show, how and why Michael Jackson faked his own death. Ms. Jane Steele, Nelson Thal in studio. Weigh in with your thoughts. 416-360-0740, Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Passcodes, personal identification numbers, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. All right, we have our headset uh, situation uh, figured out. Nelson can now hear the phone calls. Uh, Ms. Jane Steele, Nelson Thal in studio uh, from Shock Talk with Bloom and Steele. And of course, uh, Nelson uh, joins us uh, semi-regularly, our resident media scientist and former colleague of the late, great Marshall McLuhan. And we're talking about how and why Michael Jackson faked his own death three years ago uh, today, could be living somewhere in Bahrain, uh, traveling around the world on a diplomatic passport. And uh, this information coming to uh, Nelson and Ms. Steele... Uh, from 
uh, they believe, credible sources inside the intelligence community. They've actually named not the individual, although they have to me off the air, and I can't divulge, uh, but uh, they have um, sort of narrowed it down. We're talking about, it sounds like, uh, retired African-American Secret Servicemen. Yeah. And, and other agencies. Right. Yeah. But you're saying hundreds... You've, you've been, I guess, CC'd on well, email lists. there's thousands of them. Remember, let's remember this. Um, when Bobby Kennedy became the Attorney General of the United States, remember Mrs. Steele? We, uh, we, uh, we reported it, Skolnick reported it, May Brussel reported it, that he hired into the CIA 70,000 black agents. 70,000 people were brought in to the CIA and the FBI that were black, thanks to Bobby Kennedy. Right. Uh, which is why, you know, Martin Luther King was very, um, very, uh, you know, friendly with them. Sure, sure. So, so, so like today, get... you can imagine when these people start to retire, there's a lot of them. Let me go back to the African American uh, group that tried to take over the Ford Motor, Co Ford Motor yeah. Company. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, what was sort of payback. So we have Michael Jackson, trumped up child molestation charges. He fakes his death. He leaves town. Bill Cosby, you'd mentioned that he was one of that group. Now, he had a son that was, was murdered. It, oh, well, his... Bill Cosby was one of the group because he was black and he could call a press conference. He wasn't as, as of course, of, as dangerous a figure. Uh, but uh, remember, who could call a press conference and show up? Uh, O.J. Simpson was a, had, a, had a big, big media uh, footprint. Right. A big media footprint. Michael Jordan? Was Michael he part of that Jordan. group? had a big media footprint the biggest sure yeah so he was, he was part of that group he wasn't directly in part of the group but he was he was basically a construct but we also know that his father was murdered i mean exactly is there a connection there well sure there's a connection there was pressure put on all these people just to uh back off and be careful about what they say and cosby's uh son was murdered Cosby's son was murdered, so all these guys were given messages. Uh, they were, just be careful what you say. They so, were, there's great sensitivity. I mean, uh, I brought Andreas von Bülow onto a radio station here in Toronto, and uh, we got fired within two days. The former German defense head of minister. German, head of German intelligence. Okay. Andreas von Bülow, who wrote the book CIA and 9-11. Okay. We brought him onto the air, uh, two-hour interview. We Skolnick and and I inter uh, aired, and then on the third hour, we had a live from his office in Germany, and we were let go within two days. You just cannot uh, go into a lot of this stuff because uh, there's a great censorship. Would the um what happened to the attempt then by the, the these wealthy African Americans to take over the Ford Motor Company? It failed. They had to sign back the stock options, and they got their money back. And Michael Jackson. Back to Michael Jackson. Aside from the numerous uh, reports that you're receiving from retired intelligence gatherers and yeah. others, are you aware of any? I mean, you know, sometimes you know, Hollywood we, builds these. These guys don't just go to me. We're Johnny come. We're not. We're the, we were 
you know, when it comes to the big media, they talk to a lot of the people in Hollywood who build it into the films. I mean, Sasha Baron Cohen has certainly built the whole clone, exposed the clones, uh, truths about the clones and the doubles. There was a movie this last summer called The Devil's Double, showing the Saddam doubles. And right. uh, uh, people have to remember that uh, in 91, when CNN was showing these bombs hitting Baghdad and laughing about how they're attacking Saddam Hussein, well, one half of all those missiles, smart missiles that were launched on Baghdad were bought from Fairchild Missile Company, of which Saddam is the whole, the only owner. He owns the whole company, as well as Hachette, which is one of the largest publishing companies. A guy like that, a multi-billionaire, isn't sitting in a hole waiting to be arrested. Uh, he'll have his double arrested, and he's still alive. You know, Lots of people in the intelligence community know that. Let's say hello to uh, Denise calling from the Bay on the Jersey. Hello, Denise. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Hello. Where is Bay on the Jersey? Oh, uh, <laughs> Oh, God, where is it? It's close to New York, New York City. Ah, okay, well, welcome. Appreciate it. Thank you. Michael Jackson, alive or dead? Alive. And why do you believe that? Ah, uh, because I'm a very big fan of his since I'm <laughs> nine years old. <laughs> okay, but you can still be a fan and believe he's dead. Why do you, what, what evidence would you offer to a skeptic who would say, come on, Denise, we, we know he's dead? Oh, God, uh... I mean, you could say that you, I can hear you saying you wish he's alive. Uh, yes. Yeah, I but, wish. But do you, why do you think he do you think he faked his death? Yeah, I do. I do. Do you know enough about his music that you see evidence that he laid a, yeah, here, a laid I a trail like of little... to give let us see that he was doing it? Yes. I seen like little comments in there saying like the one song all I'm really saying is they don't care about us. That's one. What was he really trying to say there? Oh boy. I, to me, it sounded like he was trying to say a lot of things. Who's the they don't care about us? I guess the people he's, you know... The government? His comments were highbrow enough, wouldn't you say, that he really was aware of what we're talking yeah, about? Right, exactly, exactly. Denise, thanks for yeah. checking in from uh, near New York City. Thank you. All right, hope you'll call again. Yes, I will. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740, and toll-free from out of town, 1-866-740-4740. Last uh, call to the phones, Nelson Thal, media scientist, and Miss Jane Steele, producer of Shock Talk with Bloom and Steele, discussing whether Michael Jackson may have faked his own death, how and the why and the where. Um, I have to be honest, I, um, I think he's dead, but... Um, I haven't talked to these intelligence gatherers. I mean, if I received, you know, a cable from someone that I knew, uh, you know, was former Secret Service and so forth, and, and um, he swore up and down or she swore up and down that this is true, then, you know, I, 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 I would probably be a believer. But I don't have access to these people the way that you do. But let me ask you this question. Again, coming out Do you out believe of the official story then? What do you believe? I don't know what to believe because I, I yeah, so much, there's so much, uh, you know, with the official version, there's always, there's always some manipulation. There's always some subterfuge. Um, but let me ask you this. If he faked his own death, why would he be receiving so much assistance from the courts, from medical examiners? I mean, how did he line up all those people on his side? 
if MI6 and these others are out to get him, why would they actually hold a, 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 a you know a trial uh, where Dr. Conrad Murray was you know uh, uh, brought up on, on on these charges? Why would they? Why would they be? Why would Michael Jackson be allowed to get away with that? Wouldn't someone? Wouldn't someone in MI6 say, "Wait a minute! No, no, no! He's not dead." Uh, do you well, want to answer that? That's you know, well, actually, so really with, with, with Dr. Murray, I mean, the idea is that he was part of the Freemasons, and you are told what to do. So he took the oath to do whatever he was told to do. So that's why he was guilty. He said he was guilty. So he, he took was, the fall. He was willing sure, to take the fall. Sure, he took the fall. Okay, but what about the and, medical examiner the pers- and the person who conducted an autopsy? How did they... Well, they can, they can get a body. They all take and the fall. You but know you know what? His security was the Farrakhan, the Muslim uh, Black Brotherhood, his mm-hmm. Brotherhood guys. I mean, it was Farrakhan um, security, and they caught him out. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't that, difficult for that group to find a, just a corpse that yeah, looks something like real, the real Michael Jackson. Uh, you know, Rich, this is uh, pretty the means mode of opportunity of, of, available here to pull off and... Uh, and um, and uh, fake his death uh, from the mean side, not the motives, is not difficult to put together when you have the money that these people have in today's <laughs> today's Chicago style without walls world. You know, but why wouldn't his enemies have? I mean, his enemies, I would assume, would have greater power and greater authority. They didn't want to stop him from faking his death. That would get him out of the way. They were happy for that. I see. Okay, that makes a certain amount of sense. Of course, they don't want to stop him from doing that. They're hoping he'll do it. Just get out of the way. Didn't they get their catalog back? Yeah. Was that part of it? I mean, it's like the Beatles catalog is the property of the music establishment. I mean, that's what I think they felt. And, of course, it didn't it just sell for $2.2 billion to a conglomerate? I mean, just recently, around well, didn't, the didn't, other day, actually. I, I thought Sir Paul got most of that back. Did he not? Did he? Um, I thought Sony oh. would get all the Beatle catalog back. That's what part of the deal was. If Possibly. Michael Jackson died, Sony would take back all of the Beatle part. Yeah, and you can bet that winds up in so, the Coots Bank London yeah. account. His school exposed. So Michael bought it for forty-five million in '85, and it's worth two point two billion now. Yeah. And, uh, and I would assume all the Jackson so, uh, brothers, his mother, uh, are, are aware of this, or would they be kept in the dark? Would they think? Do they think he's dead? Do they? Oh, I'm sure they know he's alive. Well, it was interesting. His father Joe went uh, at his funeral, I think, or just after the uh, it was announced. There were a lot that Jackson, of evidence at his funeral. Little signals here and there that he was any? alive. What can you tell us? Well, he, well, supposedly he was sitting in the audience, he and he was dressed up as a woman. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, he wouldn't even have to be there, would he? Yeah, the, his enemies him. would be happy that he did this. You know, they're not going to stand in the way. They think it's great. We'll make some money off it, and the guy's gone. He's no longer a threat. He can't come back and hold a press conference and start talking about what's really going on. Well, it's interesting, though, that Latoya, uh, his sister, uh, who was always sort of considered, I guess, a bit of the um, the rebel in the... F- mm-hmm. Well, they're all rebels. Let's face it, Michael Jackson, certainly um, uh, in terms of his music and, and, and his artistry, a, re- a rebel, a revolutionary. But but uh, Latoya, maybe a little more outspoken than some of the others, and she's intimated in a number of uh, talk shows that she believes her brother was murdered. Yeah. So why would she say that? Is she, is she trying to throw us off the trail? or Probably. Yeah. 
fascinating. Yeah, it's very, very fascinating. Well, they they would want to protect him, wouldn't they? But, and, of course, she was very close to Michael. And she was an MK uh, mind control, too. You know, they... Let's remember Barb Olson's become Lady Booth and remarried Ted exactly. Olson. Come on. Oh, well, hey, man, back of, up. You know, she's had a little... bit of plastic surgery. <laughs> All right, Shop you're talking talk about the, the former CNN commentator Everybody. that was supposedly on the plane that hit the Pentagon, <laughs> Barbara Olson, who was married to the former Solicitor General under George Bush. You can see her picture on... Look up... Barbels and Lady Booth. Google it in with the images. You'll see. I'm going to do that right You'll now. See, One yeah. second. Okay. Because, yes. The, Barbara Olson, Lady Booth. And remember, Ted Olson, Antonin Scalia, and Eugene Scalia were the, were, were the judges and Bush's lawyer that could put him into okay. the office. Lady Booth. Ted Olson, why, Ted Olson was Bush's lawyer. And yes, and then Barbara later Solicitor Olson, General. They got the 9 11 psychological operation going by having Ted Olson get on and say his wife called him and says she loves him. She's on the plane that hit the Pentagon. She's going to die. Turns out no plane hit the Pentagon. Barb Olson is, uh, according to Skolnick and other intelligence agents, is using her her ATM card in Denmark. And now she's gone to a witness protection program and they've changed her face and you can see her. She's Lady Booth. Okay, I'm desperately trying to find a picture here of uh, Lady Booth. And you're saying that this is this, this is Barbara Olson, in fact. I've got it on they, my iPad somewhere. I can show you. We can put it up. Side. We'll put it up for the listeners. That, yeah, she looks exactly well, okay, the okay. same. Okay, I'm looking at a picture now. I got to be honest with you. I don't necessarily see it, but who knows? Plastic surgery is amazing. Okay, yeah. here's Lady Booth on the left, mm-hmm. and here is Barbara Olson on the right. Here. And up here yeah, we have. There you go. Okay, Lady Booth on the there right and Barbara. Pretty good. Now you see how they do it. Ah, uh, you know what? I got to be. I'm. I'm not seeing it. However. It's possible with you, a little uh, plastic surgery. That do you recall? Uh, do you recall on the um, on the Fourth Reich uh, television show uh, that you uh, that conspiracy theory with Richard Surrett aired? Right. Exposed how one of the expertise of the Nazis, the Waffen SS, was they were able to change the dental charts with a, another person so that a fake body had the same. Same dental charts as a different person. Remember that old story? I do. It I all do. leads into barbels, and we should do a show on it. Oh, July, we're coming back to do the moon hoax. That's right. That's right. Uh, with uh, Morgan Reynolds. Morgan Reynolds hopefully will come. The, the Professor Emeritus from Texas A&AM. All right. Uh, that's in July 22nd, I guess, which would be two days after the uh, Apollo 11 landing of 69. Nelson Thaw will be back for that. Ms. Jane Steele. Nelson, thank you for this. Thanks, Richard. Thank you. All right. And... Uh, Andre Lowy for the last two weeks, my very capable uh, technical producer. Thank you. We'll welcome uh, David Griffin back next. Uh, David Gaskin, my apologies. David Gaskin back uh, next week. And uh, in studio for me next week, Victor Vigiani uh, for the full two hours discussing uh, extraplanetary experiences. And also uh, we'll talk with... I believe Richard Dolan will be on the program as well, the author of uh, After Disclosure, AD After Disclosure. Back on July 8th with a brand new program with uh, Nick Redfern. Hope you'll be here for that as well. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.